Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. Oh, today on the show we're going to be gas-bagging away like usual, aren't we, Elfie? But we're going to be gas-bagging about gas. And not the sort of gas that we've been talking about lately, gas shortages, that sort of thing. We're actually going to be talking about Australia's largest gas project. Uh, we're going to be speaking to someone who's taking that project to court to see if they can perhaps stop it. We're also going to have a chat about methane on the gas front and moving into the ocean as I do my little fishy movements with my hands. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you. We will be talking about Fitbits for sharks. Well, almost Fitbits for sharks. Might have to call them Finbits for sharks. But things that are being attached for sharks to sharks for a reason. Tell you about that in a sec. There's a whole lot more on the show today as well. I'm Ant Sharwood. I am joined as ever by Elfie Scott. And before I throw to you, Elfie, I want to say... Last week you asked me about my trip to the snow, and that was very kind of you. You said, how was your weekend, Ant? I said, I went to the snow. Aren't I good? Aren't I terrific? And I didn't ask you anything back because I'm not very well brought up, for which I apologise. <laughs> Elfie Scott, super broadcaster, podcaster, and more. How was your weekend? And my weekend is always boring, so you never have to ask me how <laughs> What it a wind-up for absolutely I know, nothing. I absolutely... Oh, God, what a disappointment I am. But... I will say that I spent the weekend planning my European vacation, which, God, I need. Everybody needs a holiday. It's been three years, and I'm finally heading overseas. It's going to be amazing. There's only three words you need to know, Elfie, because mm. I know you're going to Portugal. Mm. Paste de nata. Paste de nata. Portuguese tarts. Yes. yes, we are. Custard okay. tarts. All right, so just stick that in the memory bank, and you will have a good time. Don't bother with hello, goodbye, please. Thank nah. you. Nah, Absolutely custard tart. Not. Just straight to the custard <laughs> tarts. And let's cut straight to the green news this week. I want you to tell me all about Sun Cable. Great big solar farm. What's the deal? Sure. So Sun Cable are proposing this massive solar and battery farm proposal. Uh, so I think we've spoken about this on the podcast before, actually. But basically, this, if it goes ahead, will be the largest solar and battery project in the world. Uh, and it's now just passed another hurdle on the way towards becoming a reality. It has been endorsed by the government agency Infrastructure Australia, which means that the project can now head on to the next stage of uh, getting investment as well as funding from government agencies. Uh, we touched on this before as well. I believe it was a couple of weeks ago. But it's being backed by Andrew Twiggy Forrest and Mike Cannon-Brooks. If it goes ahead, it is a $30 billion project proposal. And I don't have the means to describe the scale of this. I have only looked at diagrams, but I believe you looked this up, right, Ant? Well, I, I just love that that artist impression on the website. I mean, you can go and Google it, Google Sun Cable, and there's this sort of solar farm that goes forever. Yes, it just like <laughs> takes up the entire horizon of this picture. It takes up every pixel of the internet's memory. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, look, looking into it, they say it's going to be 12,000 hectares. Well... I don't know how big 12,000 hectares is, and but but we've discussed this rule before in Australian life. You must always quantify things in terms of MCGs. True. Just as actually you must almost always quantify volumes of water in terms of Olympic swimming pools. Or Sydney harbours. Or Sydney harbours. Yes. Or Sydney harbours. <laughs> so how many MCGs? Well, the MCG is four hectares, roughly. Uh, this is going to be 12,000. So it's 3,000 MCGs. 
Which is a big solar farm. That is a bloody big solar farm. And what is being proposed is basically that they're going to run energy directly to Asia, to Singapore, uh, via this massive underwater cable. Um, and they're hoping to get it up and running by 2028. So this is just another hurdle on the way to it actually becoming a reality. But we'll see. It sounds very promising and it sounds like it is underway. That is very promising indeed. And it's, it's good to see this sort of project starting up. We're about to talk about the gas project in Scarborough in WA uh, that, that um, the Australian Conservation Foundation, amongst others, are trying to stop happening. But quickly before we go there, I'm, I'm really into this story. That our, our second news story of the week is the um, uh, Albanese government calling for a security review into climate change. Now... Because I'm lazy by nature, I'll throw it over to you and, and, and <laughs> sit, sit back and just put my head, hands on my head and listen to you tell the details. Yeah, enjoy the news. Why not? Uh, so this is something that I wanted to bring to our podcast listeners because I feel like it, uh, it was reported on, but then it really didn't get as much coverage or attention as I think it deserves. But basically, Anthony Albanese, our freshly minted prime minister, has asked Australia's most senior intelligence chief, Andrew Shearer, to lead a review of the security threats posed by climate change. Uh, the review is going to be done by Shearer as well as the Secretary of the Department of Defence, Greg Moriarty. Um, yeah, and there's even a possibility that an Office of Climate Threat Intelligence will come out of this, which is a very, very interesting possibility. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, Ant, what are the real threats that we think about to national security when we're talking about climate change? It's such an interesting topic. Um, it's a frightening topic. It's a big topic. Um Basically, take every threat we have in the world now and multiply it by X, where X is a large number. <laughs> um, um, things like, you know, we know that, that things like drought and famine um, in places like sub-Saharan Africa can cause mass movement of people. That can cause radicalisation of youth by, by, you know, certain political groups. Mm -hmm. That can cause conflict between neighbouring countries and refugee crises. Um <clears throat> If climate change, which it already is, uh, if if it causes water shortages, food shortages on a much bigger scale than we're seeing now, we can see those. We can expect to see those sort of problems only multiply. If Bangladesh, the majority of which is only a few meters above sea level, uh, sees the sea pushing pushing inland, threatening its agriculture. What happens to millions of Bangladeshis? That is just one example close to home. And a lot of these examples are in Asia and are close to our shores where we could see mass disruption to people's lives that perhaps puts people on boats towards Australia or perhaps it's something much more serious like that. It starts conflicts on our doorstep. So there are a vast array. I could go on all day uh, about a bit the vast array. Oh, and there's also this weird sort of geographical things like like the arctic ice melting i'm sorry to go on but i love this one there's there's a new northern sea route uh you know around the top of sort of russia and the russians are claiming it but china are saying no we've got a right to use it as well right. that's just one example melting arctic ice opens up not just sea routes that could be disputed or that are already being disputed but lands that were previously unable to be accessed for minerals, for oh, mining. That's so interesting. There are a trillion things which a changing climate will change in terms of its impacts on people, how they live, how peaceful we are, how we get along with each other. Absolutely, our security chiefs should be looking 
uh, at this and just making lists and I don't know, sort of making some sort of contingencies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, thank you so much for that rundown, by the way. That was absolutely fascinating. But look, I think that it's great that the government are taking these threats seriously, uh, particularly in the wake of what we saw in Lismore, um, in the way that defence personnel were seriously underutilised there. I think that this is kind of directly related to that. But you know, it's also just pretty dire. It's a warning of what's to come, the mere fact that they're looking into this. So, yeah, I'm interested to see what that investigation reveals and the way that the government will respond. All right, let's head into our main story of the week. We are talking about the Australian Conservation Foundation this week. Basically, they have launched a legal bid with the federal court to stop any progress on Woodside Scarborough gas project off the coast of WA until its impact on the Great Barrier Reef has been properly assessed. Now, you might be confused as to why something happening off the coast of WA has any impact on the Great Barrier Reef, different sides of the country. But I spoke to somebody from the Australian Conservation Foundation, uh, Gavin McFadgen. He is the program manager and he has spoken to me about what the legal claim means, the ins and outs of it, and what the foundation are really trying to achieve here. So we will run to that interview right now and then have a little commentary afterwards. Gavin, I was hoping that you could explain to me the details of what the Conservation Foundation have done and what that sort of legal claim currently looks like. Well, what it looks like is what we've uh, what we want to take to the federal court. The law we want to t- t- test is that major new gas and oil projects, those that are offshore in state or commonwealth waters, usually get uh, assessed under the National Offshore Petroleum Safety and Management Authority Act, which means they're not assessed for their climate impacts. They're only assessed for their local construction impacts. And we're arguing now that major new fossil fuel projects need to be assessed for their greenhouse gas emissions no matter where they're burnt because we know that no matter where emissions from major Australian coal and gas projects are burnt, that might be here, or those emissions might be burnt as gas or coal in countries we export to, like Japan and South Korea, that those emissions affect matters of environmental significance. And in Australia, an example of that is the Great Barrier Reef. So we're arguing that even though the Scarborough project is off the WA coast, we're arguing that the emissions from that project are so high that they impact on the Great Barrier Reef because climate change is causing coral bleaching on the Great Barrier Reef. There's been several bleaching events just in the last five or six years driven by climate change. And so we're arguing now that any major new fossil fuel project proposed in Australia needs to have its high emissions and the impact of those emissions on Australian matters of environmental significance like the Great Barrier Reef, they need to be assessed and not go ahead if it's deemed that those emissions are too high. Right, okay. And is there a precedent for that specific type of claim uh, in terms of the broader environmental impacts or are you really trying to set the precedent? We're really trying to set the precedent. There have been judicial reviews in other Australian cases that look at this, but this will be a full court case that's never been done before. And what I mean by that is that the 
the Australian Conservation Foundation uh, through our um, legal team, the Environmental Defenders Office, will call expert witnesses in climate change and on the Great Barrier Reef, and they will argue that if the Scarborough gas project goes ahead and if those gas emissions are burnt, that they'll have a destructive impact on the Great Barrier Reef. And we'll be able to call experts that will, for the first time, demonstrate that high emissions projects in Australia and the emissions they cause, no matter where they're burnt, will impact on the Great Barrier Reef. Wow, okay. And can I ask why you are specifically citing the Great Barrier Reef? Are there legal protections around the reef that make it uh, an easier sort of target for these sort of cases? Or is it really more of the symbolic significance of the reef? No, it's because, as I said, this um, current proposal is being assessed uh, under NOPSEMA, the National Offshore Petroleum Safety and Environmental Management Authority, um, what we're saying is that they should be assessed also under Australia's environmental laws, the Australian Biodiversity Protection and Conservation Act. Um, and under that act, there are matters in environmental significance, and the Great Barrier Reef is an example of those. So we would argue in the court that because the emissions are so high, that this project is not just assessed under NOPSEMA, but is also assessed by the Federal Environment Minister, Tanya Plibersek, under the Environment, Biodiversity and Conservation Act because of its high emissions and its impact on the reef. And that will be a national first. Yeah, sure. That's amazing. Uh, what do you think is the likelihood that the federal court could agree with a claim like this? Well, it's, it will be setting a new precedent. And of course, if we win, that means that Woodside, the proponent of the Scarborough gas mine, uh, will then need to assess its project's emissions uh, against the national environmental law. Or Tanya Plibersek, as the Environment Minister, will call that project in and call for it to be assessed herself uh, as the Minister. Sure, okay. And is that what you would expect of Tanya Plibersek at this point? Um, has she actually stepped in and said anything in regards to this? Not at this stage. And this case doesn't focus on the federal government at this stage. The federal government could join Woodside in the case, uh, but we urge them not to do that. We are, uh, the federal court case is focused on Woodside and the fact that our argument is that they haven't sought all the approvals they need because it has not been assessed under the EPBC Act. So our, the focus of this case is actually on Woodside. But if we win, uh, either Woodside will have to assess its climate impacts against the EPBC Act or Tanya Plibersek will call the project in and uh, call for it to be assessed under our national environment laws. Sure. OK. And can I ask uh, what Woodside's response has actually been so far? Woodside are saying that they will vigorously defend uh, this litigation. Um, they've also said that it's their belief that gas is a transition fuel between coal and renewables and has lower emissions than coal. We'll argue against that. Uh, the emissions from this project are huge. It's the biggest gas project proposed in Australia at the moment and one of the largest in the world. Its greenhouse gas emissions are estimated by Woodside to be about nearly 900 million tonnes of greenhouse gas emissions. We think that's an underestimate. We think it's closer to 1.3 billion tonnes wow. uh, as assessed by independent experts uh, like climate analytics. Um, so they will vigorously defend this case, but we'll be arguing that uh, 
these fossil fuel projects need to be assessed against national environment laws because their emissions are so high uh, and their impacts on the Great Barrier Reef and other matters of environmental significance are significant. Sure, okay. And what are the next steps for ACF? Uh, what's the, what does the timeline look like here? Uh, well, we think this case could run for five or six days, which is quite a long case uh, by federal court standards. We've lodged it in the Victorian Federal Court. Um, we suspect, it's hard to know with court timelines, but we suspect the case will be heard late this year or early next year. Incredible. Okay, we will have to keep watching that. Uh, so just in the scenario that this claim fails, uh, does the ACF have a backup plan? Like, how do people keep fighting if beyond the federal court? I uh, will still, whether the case is successful or not, we will come to a point where we'll be calling on the new federal Labor government to assess high-emitting projects, big new coal and gas projects against our national environmental laws because of their high emissions. Um, and obviously ACF will keep campaigning in a range of ways, not just through litigation, uh, but through uh, our political advances to federal and state governments that they need to stop approving new coal and gas projects uh, because we are facing a climate crisis and urgently facilitate the transition to renewable energy, both for our domestic needs and also for our exports. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for having a chat with me, Gavin. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That was Gavin McFadgen. He is the Climate Change Program Manager for the Australian Conservation Foundation. And what did you make of that interview? I just, um, I think he's a really clear speaker. I think um, it's it's um, probably, look, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> And, and I'm not, <laughs> Neither of us are lawyers. We should I'm, really point that out. I'm not a soothsayer. I can't say what's going to happen in the future, but I have a feeling they won't be successful, but it's not the point. Um, this this is climate versus fossil fuels in court. On the court documents, it'll say uh, the ACF, the Australian Conservation Foundation versus Woodside, but this is climate versus fossil fuels in court. We saw something a bit like it um earlier this year, late last year, with um, Sharma versus Lay, the oh, environment minister. Oh, yes, of minister. course, yeah, the, uh, the climate change kids. Anjali Sharma, that was, the, you know, that was effectively climate versus fossil fuels as well, even though it was kid versus environment minister. Mm-hmm. Um, and these cases, it's important that they keep playing out and that we keep having these litmus tests. We keep saying, where are the boundaries? Yes. You know, we're being urged by every global authority to stop major fossil fuel projects, not just Australians, everyone around the world. Uh, this is a major fossil fuel project. This will emit over its life uh, three times our annual emissions. So three years worth of Australia's emissions just in this project. Oh, God. So we have to go and say, what's it worth to you? What, where, where, you know, what, what can the courts do to, to mitigate it? How can we make it harder by setting some sort of legal precedent for the next one? to happen. I think that's the big picture game the ACF is playing here and I applaud them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's such an interesting precedent to try and set in the courts. And something that I also wanted to point out was that I think it's very interesting for them to be using uh, the Great Barrier Reef as their device Mm. for environmental protections in the court, especially because I realised this last year, and I don't know if you know this, Ant, Mm. but 
approximately the amount of people who are employed in the tourism industry on the Great Barrier Reef is equal to the amount of people who work in coal mining in Australia. It, well, they're very comparable industries. I did not know that, but I bet it's not as many as as, as the people employed in the uh, pasta di nata <laughs> in, in, industry in Portugal. Those are millions of people. Where you are going soon. I think the entire nation is uh, at hard at work <laughs> making custard tarts. Portuguese people, please don't come for me. I really love your country. <laughs> anyway, we are now going to talk about our mulch. These are the little clippings, the interesting curiosity stories that Ant and I bring to each other each week. So, Ant, let's talk about methane, shall we? Well, methane, one of my uh, favourite types of... <laughs> gas? Know, is gas. that what you're about to say? Well, you know, who doesn't love a bit of methane? But <laughs> Australia is about to sign up. Well, we're considering signing up to um, to, 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 to the push uh, led by Joe Biden to end uh, or to, sorry, reduce global methane emissions by 30% by the end of the decade. Madeline King's all over it, isn't she? she our, our new resources minister, mm-hmm. uh, she's saying she's entering the consultation progress, progress, process, you know, very, very similar words uh, to, to, to find out what's what. But I, I hope we sign up to it. Um, it seems like the obvious thing to do. And methane is a problem. Methane is mainly um, an, an agricultural uh, greenhouse gas. It's cow caused, farts and burps. Cow burps, yep, absolutely, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. Uh, it can be cut down on. It should be cut down on. I hope we do our part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and now we're going to talk about sharks. Do you like sharks, Ant? Are you a big fan of sharks? I especially like sharks when I'm standing on the land and they're in the water yep, where they enough. are. But you'll, you'll recall at the top of the show we did mention uh, Fitbits, which I said actually they're more like fin bits. Oh, God, he said the pun again. Oh, God, call the police. But if it's a, if it's a good pun, you have to say it twice. Otherwise, <laughs> the first bit, it's not even that good. Oh, hey, was that the Jaws music? I believe that was our producer, Morgan about to play us a little shark video. Um, So, Ant, you can talk about the video in a second. But basically, this story is talking about an international team of scientists who have started to use video footage to understand how sharks interact with sea turtles. Um, So they have done these studies uh, by attaching these uh, Fitbits or cameras to the uh, to the fins of tiger sharks and they can basically watch them like interact with their prey in the water their prey being sea turtles for the most part uh, it's the first time that researchers have ever looked at camera footage like this as though it's through the eyes of the animal to study their behavior and their movement um Researchers, as you probably know, strap cameras to animals all the time, but they're not actually studying what the animal is seeing like they did in this project. And what I really like about the footage, you can find it on Sydney Morning Herald, but what I really love about this footage is that it's kind of like those videos of when people attach GoPros to golden retrievers and they put those videos on the (laughs) internet, you know, of like the dogs running. It's kind of like that, but a less adorable form. A shark's eye view of the world, because I have watched the video, is... Is actually it's really boring. I think sharks have quite boring lives. But, <laughs> but oh, how dare you! What I did learn from this was that turtles evade sharks by doing nothing. They sit there and pretend they're just floating there, flailing about. Is what attack uh, attracts rather? Yes, a, a shark, which is a pretty. Can you imagine being a turtle? Can you actually just imagine going right? Here comes a thing to eat me. If I just stand here and watch it. Maybe it won't eat me. <laughs> that that is that is a hell of a poker move. That, that look, it's um, the Jurassic Park strategy. Stop moving, and the T Rex won't see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Um, 
Thank, All right. Thank you for that pop no culture reference uh, there, Elfie. <laughs> well, that is totally fine. You're very welcome. And now, would you like to talk about fish? I know you would. Well, I, I just want to stay aquatic, aquatic, as as the Brits say, because I am over the moon. I love Australia's inland fish. Have you ever seen a Murray cod? No. Okay, a Murray cod, look, your average Murray cod grows to about 10 kilos. It's quite a large, fit, large fish. They can grow to 100 kilos. Whoa. They can be six feet in the old scale. They can be, they can be almost two metres long. Oh, my long. God. I would love to see a fish that big. In Australian inland waters. Can you imagine a fish <laughs> the size of me in Australian? In, <laughs> I'm nearly 100 kilos. Like, like Imagine that's – look, they are seeing Murray cod and other fish way up in the border rivers districts of um, – New South Wales, Queensland. Uh, there's a story in the ABC we saw this week, didn't we, about about native native fish in abundance. I think they were out at Gundawindi doing a bit of a fishing contest up there. And I'm not normally a fan of fishing contests. I think fishing shows on television are one of the worst forms of so-called entertainment in the world. <laughs> but if they are having a fishing contest because the rivers are full, teeming with native Australian fish species. I believe they pulled out as many as 250 different native Australian fish. Wow. I, then I am excited. I'm happy for their fish comp to go ahead. It's good to know that all the East Coast rain, a lot of it flows straight to the coast on that side of the divide, but a lot of it has come west and all the way down in the Menindee Lakes and places in far western New South Wales are full of fish. Remember those stories just three years ago? Fish kill, fish yeah, kill, fish yeah. kill. Well, fish catch, fish catch, fish catch. <laughs> I can't say that three times in a row again. Please end the podcast. <laughs> okay. That is all we have time for today, but also for the sake of getting Ant out of here. Uh, let's wrap. So before we head off, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. They are the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording. We'd like to pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded. Very well said, Elfie. And I'd just like to remind everybody in as pleasant a way as possible with no threats, no threats, just encouragement to uh, join us on Twitter. We had a good chat about Brumbies there yesterday. Uh, we are at Green Canary Pod on Twitter. We are at Green Canary Media on Instagram. And we have a newsletter. I say to everyone, you are only half Green Canarying. So you're only Canarying or you're only Greening if you don't do the pod and the newsletter in combo they have a bit of each other's con content but they don't totally cannibalize each other they're different beasts different entities they're both part of the green canary please subscribe at hello at thegreencanary.co and your inbox will go ding with a happy little buzz on wednesday when it arrives <laughs> all right well i look forward to reading mine this week but for the moment we will see you next week for the pod bye, bye.